0: Hello and welcome to Abyssal Lighthouse. My name is Bill Darklider and this is the second attempt at uh, this podcast. The the first was several months ago as a sort of an amalgam of various quotes from books and excerpts and a couple of interviews and, you know, as a format it really wasn't working. For a time I was looking for a co-host and, you know, one, one was not forthcoming so I'm going to endeavour to just riff on my own in terms of uh, some of the ways that I think about spirituality, religion, and in particular, Christianity. And it is my hope that, like this podcast's namesake, uh, it will provide a light in the dark for those who are, you know, questioning their faith or questioning you know, the the foundations upon which their beliefs are based. Um, myself, I come from an extremely uh, rational, agnostic, atheist for a, a long time sort of stance. You know, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Um, I had great difficulties in my childhood that, you know, turned me even further away from... You know God, and certainly what was instantiated in organised religion at the time, and it really—what uh, would I say? It was something that I I reasoned through a lot. It was something that I really, really obsessed over. Was this this problem of of God and whether or not you know in in the great battle between creationism. And naturalism, you know, which is you know, for for those that aren't up on on the big $5-ism words uh, creationism being that this universe is the result of a creator and naturalism falling under the category of it's all just material, it's it's matter um, you know, that has resulted as some kind of cosmic fluke and that there is no rhyme or reason you know that it's we live in a um unfeeling uncaring universe and uh what little order and prosperity that does exist will eventually uh collapse due to entropy and i mean even from a statement such as that you can probably tell that you know i've given a great deal of thought to that particular line of reasoning you know which is um it's very, it's, it's definitely, you know, the dark path because, uh, that line of reasoning does not seem to lead anywhere good. And I found that out myself, you know, when, uh, well, certainly all my trials and tribulations through, you know, my, uh, my formative years, my teenage years and my twenties. And, you know, in the last couple of years in particular, you know, what was, uh, a middling sort of spirituality that had come from, um, you know, experimentation with psychedelics in my twenties combined with a real love and respect for the, uh, spirituality of, you know, in particular the Native American Indians, but also some of the other, I suppose, what would be thought of as, as, uh, you know, pagan, uh, religions, you know, because they had such rich stories and such beautiful morals. Um, You know, I've certainly done my time going through, you know, as I woke up and uh, realized God's presence uh, in my life and everywhere. It became the case that, you know, I went on quite a a big search uh, going through, trying to find anything I could in, you know, all the scriptures of of many different religions. And I was looking at New Age philosophy and I was looking at trip reports. And, you know, it took me quite uh, a long time to decide just exactly um, what it is that I think and to find some of the answers to questions that have been, you know, some have been plaguing me for, Just weeks or months and some have been plaguing me for years and even decades and I think you know that I have uh, come upon some interesting ways of thinking that I haven't heard other people sort of articulate so um, I'm hoping to be able to uh, you know shed some light on what I think it means to be a Christian in the 21st century, even though I've only been calling myself a Christian for a very short time, um, there was a, a lot of time leading up to that where I'd spent a lot of time in deep, deep thought over many of, many of the problems. And yes, I suppose what uh, I'm hoping to achieve with a podcast such as this is, you know, to help Articulate my own thoughts as much as anything, um, you know, both for myself and for others who may be listening, particularly those who may be struggling with questions, uh, struggling with, you know, the, the mental health issues that run rampant in our society that, you know, I have really come to understand uh, are a, at least in part, a result of... Uh, our lack of attendance to our spiritual health because certainly the human spirit is a fundamental part of our being and it requires different nourishment to that of the body and so anyway I suppose uh, I haven't really got a plan as to topics that I was uh, necessarily going to cover but I suppose um, something that did come up today was I was watching on Netflix a great documentary series by Morgan Freeman called The Story of God, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. I mean, the the short version is, you know, Morgan Freeman, you know, having uh, famously played the role of God in uh, several films, you know, Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty, um, and just kind of being such a, a wonderful benevolent sort of patriarchal figure you know not not patriarchy in the way that you know protesters mean patriarchy but uh you know patriarchy in its positive sense you know uh like a, a beloved and wise grandfather which really is is what we talk about when we characterize god that way but uh you know morgan freeman has uh, done this documentary series where he travels around the world investigating different religions and you know puzzling through different concepts interviewing different people uh and you know the series is is really brilliant so certainly uh if you haven't seen that check that one out on netflix um i'm not sure if it's on other platforms you'll have to google that and find out for yourself but uh in the episode i was watching today it was dealing with the problem of evil And, um, you know, one of the things that it talked about was original sin. Now, I suppose, uh, there are two ways I can sort of go with it, which is to, you know, discuss, you know, which, which do you discuss first? Is it, is it, uh, you know, evil or is it, um, original sin? I think potentially let's go with evil first. So, archetypally speaking when we talk about you know those dual forces of good and evil quite often we refer to them as light and dark and we know that certainly as it's uh instantiated in christianity and many other religions that you know god is light and that light because it is Pure energy, uh, you know, it has no differentiation. It's every color, it's every frequency. It's, you know, if, if you had pure being itself, the only way you could articulate it is pure light. And so it is uh, certainly... The notion of um you know the the uh jewish mystics going a long way back and and many other mystics from many other um spiritual and religious paths that you know god is light and that light is good you know and so hence in genesis we have you know this appeal of you know let there be light and there was light and god saw that it was good um and but I should I should probably just interject here and say uh, prepare yourselves for just just terribly badly paraphrased Bible quotes because uh, you know I um, I'm not a good uh, regurgitator of things word for word but uh, you know I tend to uh, just draw the impression or the gist of things so you know uh, please brace yourself and don't get offended if I uh, botch. Your, your favorite bit of scripture, or, or just scripture in general. But, uh, so, light is what you might call the very height of being itself, you know, the, the supreme being, as it were, but with pure light, nothing is apparent in it, you know, like, if you're blinded with white light, you can't see anything, and, So, naturally, it becomes the case that you need something else to mix with that, you know, in order to create the capacity for more than one thing to be present. And so, obviously, you would go with, well, what's the absence of light? Well, the absence of light is darkness. So, immediately, you've got light and dark. You know on and off one and zero for your you know if you know anything about computer programming you know that no matter how sophisticated the program is no matter you know you can have these incredible worlds like an online role-playing game which you know are hugely sophisticated with amazing graphics and you know different programs that control things like camera angles and you know all sorts of things running in the background but all of that is just a set of different layers that all can reduce down to ones and zeros everything that passes over the internet can be reduced to ones and zeros what is a one it's a pulse like it's a it's a uh, an on current down an analog copper wire uh, and then a zero is simply the absence of that you know just like morse code you've got you know if if morse code was simply one long beep you couldn't say very much with it but it's the spaces in between the beeps that actually create the rhythm to be able to differentiate the different letters and this to me is very very much how god works at least at the very fundamental level of creation and If you're interested in sort of reading about, um, you know, people who are much smarter than me, who have been trying to nut this problem out for many, many hundreds and thousands of years now, uh, you might be interested in checking out some of the writings on Jewish Kabbalah, which, uh, you know, certainly tries to get at the heart of how the creation came to be and also how the creator came to be. But anyway, so you have light and its absence which is darkness and you might think okay well god's not exactly going to subtract from himself in order to do this i mean he's not going to you know if if he is the supreme being then he's going to have to create inside a space in which light and dark can be present and mixed and interchanged in such a way that you know doesn't I mean, you know, God can't very well like, you know, divide uh himself in in such a way that he's like truly separate from himself. You would think at least. I mean, this is, you know, it's sort of very uh hard to put these terms into language, but you know, at at some level uh everything is united. You know, God is is ultimate in his omnipresence, uh, omniscience and omnipotence. So, you know, uh, which is where we get scripture like, you know, um, what is it? God's, God's place, uh, you know, is not the world effectively. And, you know, the, the Jewish Kabbalists talk about zimzum and, and, you know, uh, a contraction, you know, where God withdrew himself from one particular point in space in order to create uh, a, a place for him to work. So anyway, you have light and darkness and you might think within this creative space, now you have two things that you can work with. And this light and this darkness are somewhat like children, you know, um, and you might think of that as like, well, if you've got a sliding scale of pure light all the way through its many variations down to pure dark, well, we know what pure darkness is. Pure darkness is the devil, pure darkness is Satan. And pure light, well, that's Christ. You know, and these are like you know, God's own beloved sons. And, you know, that may seem like a controversial statement, but we know from Scripture and the many, many writings on the topic of Lucifer's fall from grace that, you know, he was once the most exalted in heaven except for, you know, all but God and later Adam. And, you know, like the prodigal son, he rebelled against his father and and refused to subjugate himself and as a result was cast down from heaven. Now, what that gives us is our duality. You know, we have our uh, ambassador of good in Christ and we have our ambassador of evil in Lucifer. Now, from you know this language, you could then create you know all of the different forms of things using the blend of light and dark in order to give things shape and substance. And I think you know what we see if we look at things like string theory. You know the notion that once you get down past you know you're delving further and further into the constituent matter of the universe and you know, you get down to the atomic level and then you break that down and you get down to quarks and then you break that down and, you know, you enter this crazy upside down, well, quarks are already in the crazy upside down world of quantum mechanics. But, you know, where we go past that is into what's currently just a purely theoretical space. And uh, the idea of string theory is that, you know, what the fundamental particles that make up the universe... Are themselves composed of are simply wavelengths of energy, and like what is energy well energy and light are synonymous with each other at least in in some respect because you know at at their fundamental level you have you know light you have heat you know you, um, you have movement, like all of these things are like fundamental principles of energy. And, you know, I've, I've read a good deal to do with science. It's been, uh, you know, a real, it's, it's been, a, a real, uh, you know, pet subject of mine, um, over the course of my life, even though it's not my vocation. And certainly I don't profess to be really up on any of these subjects particularly in a specialized form but i have a a reasonable general knowledge of things and really i'm just invoking these things as uh you know a means of trying to articulate something that is really difficult to to get it harder but so we have our two forces which can be mixed together in different proportions and those things in turn can then give us, you know, uh, different building blocks which can then be themselves combined to give us a different building block. So in that way you could think of, you know, energy and uh, the vacuum or energy and the absence of energy, you know, can be combined and permeated to create you know, building blocks like what we see at the quantum level with, you know, quarks and gluons and so on. Um, you know, we, we think... If memory serves, which it probably doesn't, um, the current uh, sort of notion is that the four fundamental particles of the universe are electrons, gluons, uh, photons and neutrinos. Um Now, I'm probably getting that wrong because it's been a while since I watched that particular documentary. Um, If you want to get up on that, uh, again on Netflix, you'll get a lot of Netflix recommendations on on this podcast because I'm a huge Netflix fan. Uh, There's a a lecture series that Neil deGrasse Tyson did uh, for a university. It's super low budget compared to uh, Cosmos, but uh, it's far more cutting edge in terms of the content, and it's called The Inexplicable Universe with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I couldn't recommend it more highly in terms of, uh, you know, checking out what's kind of happening at the forefront of physics in particular. Now, from those fundamental particles, you can start to combine things in order to get your atoms. That gives you your elements. So, you know, suddenly you've got hydrogen, helium, beryllium, lithium, etc. Uh, then... From the atomic level, you can get up to molecules. From your molecules, you can get up to, you know, the the building blocks of life itself. You know, you can get into uh, cellular structures. And then from there, we, you know, if you've ever taken a biology class, you know that we can step through simple single-celled organisms and gradually work our way up to the complexity of, you know, the, the flora and fauna we observe in the natural world and, of course, our own selves. And what the mystics have been saying for hundreds, if not thousands of years, is that the process of creation was somewhat akin to this as well. You know, that uh, it was the case that a space was created in which light and dark were intermingled and... From there God fashioned the universe itself. Now how does that get us to good and evil? Well, if you think that this concept of light and dark, you know, really I mean to me everything can be articulated in that language. Not just things of material but Conceptual things as well, you know, invisible things, things, you know, that are only articulatable in language, you know, things like the invisible laws of the universe, um, concepts, you know, so you can point at things like free will and determinism, you know, which is so determinism, this idea that, you know, we don't have any choice that the universe just plays out the way it plays out in every you know, in, in that sort of Newtonian way that every action has an equal and opposite reaction. Well, all of the actions all play out and they all cause logically their, you know, immediate reactions and so on and so forth. cause and effect, one thing causes another and ultimately, you know, we're on a, a one-way track, which, you know, I, I do understand the argument for that. And it's a, a pretty, you know, interesting argument, but you know, it seems to fall down somewhere around the way that we seem to have free will and any sort of meaning that people actually derive in their lives comes from a result of their choices and, you know, what are their choices if not uh, exertions of free will? I mean, with no choice, then ultimately there's no meaning to any of this, but you know, what are, what are some other classic sort of opposites, uh, that, you know, I don't, I don't want to invoke sort of, you know, democracy and communism, but, um, it's, you know, one potential one. Um, I suppose the thing is this, you know, ultimately, uh, if goodness exists in the world, which it does, you know, it's, and anybody arguing that it doesn't is an absolute idiot. I mean, you know, you only have to, you know, ask them what their favourite song is or what their favourite movie is. I mean, everybody's got a favourite something, and you can't have a favourite anything unless you've determined that something is better than all the other things. So, you know, there must be goodness. Uh, and evil is simply the lack of goodness. And in a sense, it's an illusion created by the absence of light in something. You know, so it's strange because true true evil only ever comes from people. I mean, you can't say that, you know, the world is evil. I mean, there's there's certainly you know, Mother Nature has come up with all kinds of interesting ways to, you know, try and kill us, but uh, you wouldn't attribute that to evil, and you wouldn't say that we're, you know, in some sort of righteous war with nature, because, you know, nature also gives us everything that, you know, we hold dear in in the material realm, you know. I mean, our own bodies, perishable, perishable frames though they may be, uh, you know, our bodies, the bodies of our loved ones, our food, uh, you know, the the beautiful bounty of nature around us. So, uh, evil really is the province of people and it seems to come about largely, you know, as a result of uh, fear and pain and misguided belief. And, you know, that's that's a subject that would take a very long time to unpack, and I'll probably have to come back to it at some point, because, you know, I'm already sort of going on tangent after tangent here, but, yeah, it's, it's certainly a tricky one, but ultimately, um, you know, I think that's for the time being, let's let's just say that there's no creation without light and dark. So therefore, you know, we can't have a, a creation that's all light uh, because nothing could be different. And, I mean, it's, it's the space between things that allows the things that exist to move. You know, you need a space to move into. And we know that, um, you know, the majority of the universe is nothing at all, you know? And I'm not just talking about the vacuum of space, you know, that great empty void. I mean, if you go down into the structure of an atom, it's mostly empty space. I mean, it's crazy. There's something like, you know, if, uh, what is it? The If uh, it, you take a hydrogen atom, right, which is one proton and one electron, uh, if you scaled the proton to be uh, the head of the pin, like the flat bit on top, uh, then the electron would be the size of the very tip of the point and would be located some just catastrophic distance away. Like it's, you know, it's miles and miles and miles away. So, you know, and all, all of the rest of it is just empty space, you know? So it's, there's far more nothing than there is anything, which is, you know, just just a fascinating thing to kind of try and get your head around. Um, But anyway, so, original sin. Okay, so, my feeling is this, you know, in order for the, the creation to have any meaning at all, for, in order for us as human beings to have a meaningful experience like the one that god has set up for us we need to have free will now how do you give us free will okay well here's the dichotomy every choice you make either orients you towards the light which is god it either orients you towards god or it orients you away from God as a necessity you're either aiming at him or you're aiming away from him and that's what sin is so sin comes from this you know old word that means to miss the mark it's an archery term so you know you either hit the target and the target is you know go towards the light go towards the the good go towards God or you go anywhere else so it's as if he gave us free will and effectively it was like okay well you know you can do all of these things all of these things are permitted this is all you know light you can eat all these things you know the whole garden is, is your paradise playground just don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, good and evil nor uh, the fruit. Of the tree of life. So having set us up with just one commandment, we go ahead and do the one thing we're not supposed to do. Because of course we did, you know, that's what human beings are like. We're very curious, we want to know what's going to happen. And I'll be honest, I have in my own life consciously sinned because I wanted to know what would happen and you know I, I can tell you it always worked out that I paid for it and learnt my lesson the hard way rather than the easy way and in a sense that really is the story of mankind because you know we're down here in this you know world full of darkness, as well as light, of course. But, you know, where suffering is present, pain is present, malevolence is present, you know, and we have to struggle through because, you know, in some respects with original sin, we basically said we're signing up to learn the hard way. And the hard way is, you know, it's the story of the prodigal son. I mean, there was the the good son who stayed with his father and did all the right things and then was the one who turned his back on his father and set out and screwed up and wasted all his money on, you know, hookers and cocaine. And, but then when he'd realized the gravity of his mistake, he turned around and did the long trudge back to his father who and was welcomed back with open arms because no matter what, your father loves you, you know? And that that really is the heart of... Not just Christianity, but, you know, Judaism as well and Islam and many other, you know, religions that recognize supreme beings. You know, I'm I, like at some point in the podcast, I will talk a bit about things like the Bhagavad Gita and I will talk uh, like about, you know, Buddhism and so on. But for now, you know, I really want to get into the, the Christian conception of you know, just exactly what's going on with this this universe that we find ourselves in, this experience that we call life, you know, what is going on? And so it's a strange story because Eve is tempted by the serpent. She eats the fruit. She shares it with Adam. He eats the fruit. Suddenly their eyes are open they see that they're naked and they cover themselves. Now, if you want to hear an amazing explanation of this story, again, that uh, now this isn't a Netflix recommendation, this is a YouTube recommendation. I'm going to advise that far more than listening to me, everybody should be going and listening to Jordan Peterson, his biblical lecture series. So he did a, a lecture series on the psychological significance of the biblical stories. So he's not a theologian, he's a psychology professor who you're going to hear quoted ad nauseam on this podcast, because I'm a huge fan and he's been a profound influence on, on me in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he really goes, you know, quite deep into what he thinks that story means. And some of, I mean, it's a strange story in a way, because the way that it's laid out and the way that I think it kind of actually is, is... You know, it's like it's almost out of order in a sense. Because, so you think, okay, well, what's what's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, before that point, we didn't know evil because we'd never, you know, done it. We'd never experienced it. We'd never seen it. We'd never observed it. For all intents and purposes, it didn't exist for us. But by eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Suddenly our eyes are open and we see the capacity for evil. And that makes us feel naked and ashamed and want to protect ourselves and cover ourselves up. And, you know, uh, we recognize our vulnerabilities. And, you know, why, well, why is it a tree? Why is it fruit? It's fruit because it's something uh that you know you notice and that tempts you and that you want to eat it but then you know and in in eating it it's, it tastes sweet like so, so much food tastes real sweet I mean fruit is the natural dessert of of you know uh the the natural world um but we know that sugar's appallingly bad for us you know you you eat a, giant bowl of ice cream and tastes great while you're eating it but you know you're gonna pay for it yeah and so it's fruit and by eating it you embody it you take it into yourself so this was like we had the way that the story is portrayed it's as if it was the eating of the fruit that gave us the free will, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to choose. But really, it it comes in before that. We had the free will first. It was in the choice that we realized the consequence of such a thing. And you've got to see this from God's point of view, right? So God goes to all this effort to give us the ability to choose to love him and do What he wanted us to do but he did give us the choice to turn our backs on him you know like his his own children his own creations he gave them that capacity to turn our backs on him and we did and you know that's that's how the story goes and that's how you get your original sin, because that's our original failing to live up to our potential because if we lived up to our potential we would have been godlike forever but you know you can very easily make the case well you know where's the meaning in a story like that i mean the prodigal son is a story and sure the other son who was a good boy and stayed there is a part of that story too but if i just told you a story that was like well you know, there was this father and he had a son and his son was a good boy and he learnt the family business and they lived happily ever after. That's a boring story. Let's, you know, let's not split hairs. So, you know, and this, this very much becomes the plight of, of humanity because, you know, having not only turned our backs on God, but truly understood the ramification of, of having our eyes open and seeing the capacity of choice, you know, that no matter how brilliant and creative we can be in the direction of goodness, we have the equal capacity for brilliant creativity that is destructive and horrible, you know, look at medieval torture practices look at current day torture practices you know look at some of the things that are going on in the world I mean you watch some documentaries on what some of these you know genius psychopath serial killers do and you know you're just you're, you're shocked and appalled but you're also somehow enthralled because there's there's something about the Machiavellian brilliance of it you know that You know, on one level, you almost admire for, you know, how smart it is, even though it's just completely appalling. So, anyway, um, I think that more or less sums up my thoughts on uh, Original Sin. And I guess, no, I shouldn't just invoke Original Sin without, you know, giving the good news. And the good news is now... You know, when Christ showed up, you know, Yeshua Jesus, uh, he didn't say, you know, I'm I'm here to reward the pious and the righteous and so on. He's like, no, I'm I'm here for the sinners. You know, I'm I'm here for the tax collectors and the prostitutes and you know, like the murderers, the rapists, the thieves. Because this is what's so important. It's like there's an acknowledgement that comes from original sin through to the present day that yes, man has the capacity for evil and we have the capacity for sin. Like we miss the mark all the time. We turn our backs on God just like I did. I turned my back on God, you know, at a, at a reasonable young age because, you know, I, I had a magical childhood up to a certain point, you know, where like God was very much present in my life. I didn't, I mean, I watched a lot of Star Wars as a kid and and I didn't have a religious upbringing. So uh, for me, my the language that I would articulate uh, it in was actually the language of Star Wars. You know, I believed in like the force, you know, this invisible thing that permeated everything that held the universe together and that there was a light side and a dark side and that it was important to be on the light side and do the right thing. And that in some respect, you know our ancestors are embodied in that force and that you know that somehow we all go on living eternally in it I, I knew that and believed it 100% from a very young age but you know I had then my experiences that turned me you know away from sort of organized religion and in turn religion itself you know I had some terrible experiences and I decided that you know, God wasn't real, and that, you know, the universe was out to get me, and, you know, oh, woe is me, why me, oh, I'm so hard done by, and, you know, I started to walk a a dark path that, you know, culminated in many years of depression, and, you know, self-destructive behavior, alcohol and drug abuse, etc., etc., you know, all the classics, It's, 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 the realization that, you know, it's an important part of growing up for young men and, and women both, you know, that you really aren't, you know, that unique in in your plight. You know, we all turn our backs on our responsibilities and then ultimately, you know, we hopefully see the light and the error of our ways. And this is this is where Christ comes in because, you know, some of the things... That had been instantiated in religion before Christ, um, could very much make it that if you had if you had walked so far down a dark path, there was no salvation for you, there was no forgiveness, there was no return trip. Like past a certain point, you were basically, you know, as they would say in poker, pot committed, you know. And at that point, well, you can't turn back, so you may as well keep going. That that was, you know, something that was around in thought. And it's still around in thought now, you know, for those that haven't seen the light, so to speak. But the reason why Christ came and appealed to those sinners was because, you know, they, like, why why do we preach forgiveness and salvation through Christ? Because people need to know that no matter how badly they fuck up, sorry to swear there, I, I... tried to promise myself that that I, I wouldn't swear on this podcast. I want to try and keep it from being explicit. But anyway, okay, no matter how badly we stuff up, there's still the capacity to have a change of heart, to repent and turn around and head back towards the light. And forgiveness and salvation will be found if we turn around and head towards the light. As long as you head towards the light, salvation can be found. And that is the central christian message it's it's the anchor point of the whole thing you know because people say you know it's all about the resurrection it's all about this that and other thing and look i'm not downplaying any of that it is important that you know christ died for our sins but there's more to it than that you have to frame it the right way it's like well you know Christianity gets a bad rap and I, I used to be one of the people giving it a bad rap and, you know, I still do in, in some respects because there's a lot of people that go around sort of going like, oh, well, as long as I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then I can basically do whatever because I'll always be forgiven. It's like, mm, sorry, sunshine, I don't think it works that way. You know, that doesn't that doesn't really ring true and I think you'd be very hard-pressed to find people for whom it rings true. And the thing about forgiveness you have to want to be forgiven you have to you have to you know be sorry to some ex- extent you know you you have to have remorse you have to have understood the error of your ways i mean i'll break it down a different way so uh this this idea of repentance right i was looking up uh a term called metanoia now before I, metanoia is a is a word that is connected to paranoia which everybody would know And paranoia, which people don't know quite as much. And the three of them form a a really interesting relationship. So paranoia is the notion that everybody's out to get you. Or somebody's out to get you. Or the universe is out to get you. Whatever it is. Basically, there are external forces to you that are looking to do you in. Now, paranoia is the opposite of that. This is something that you'll hear a lot of kind of, uh, you know, like new agey hippie types, which, you know, I kind of count myself amongst them as well. But like, uh, pronoia is the opposite, which is basically the universe is on your side and there are forces external to you that are basically trying to look after you, right? And really, as as Christians you know, we would say that we are, you know, uh, I I suppose you say pronoid? Yeah, paranoid, pronoid. Yeah. Um, In that, you know, we do believe in an external force, that force being God and Christ that is on our side. Now, metanoia. Well, metanoia is effectively the change between those two states. It's translated as a change of heart but that you know because repent means change of heart and metanoia is very much this idea of change of heart and i experienced it myself because you know i went through life really believing that everybody was out to get me my family my friends the powers that be you know and if you, if you believe that the universe is cold and unfeeling and chaotic and that Mother Nature is looking to do you in, the universe doesn't care if you exist, everything you do is pointless, oh boy, that's paranoia. The, you know, it really, really is. Like paranoia isn't just thinking that, you know, there's ninjas on the lawn trying to kill you. So to, to go through that change of heart myself, And, and understand, like, I mean, and that, that process of that change of heart, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely go into it at some point, but it was a cataclysm. I mean, my, my entire structure of reality got completely upended. I went through a very bizarre sort of 18 months to two years where, I mean, you know, friends and family thought I was out of my mind, you know, it, it took a while for things to stabilize because suddenly all of the established kind of uh, order that I had, let's say, like, again, this is something that Jordan Peterson explains a hell of a lot better than me in uh, his lecture series, Maps of Meaning, in particular. Um, Effectively, you see the world through the lens of your own perceptions, so your belief structures, like the things you believe about the world, actually end up influencing the way that you see and hear. And, you know, like the the way you perceive the world actually comes from your own thoughts. Which, you know, uh, I mean, this is not news to uh, Buddhists in particular, but it's, it's very much instantiated in Christianity as well. There's a, a ton, a ton of, of scriptural references which... You know, I mean maybe I'll try and not be lazy and I'll 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 dig them up and try and inject some scripture in um using the app, I'll I'll figure out how to edit it all up. But, you know, just in case I don't, the short version is there's there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, Christ says some stuff but there's a ton of stuff in the Old Testament as well. That's largely to do with eyes. You know, they really because uh, vision is the primary sense of human beings. We differ from the most of the animal kingdom in that respect because the primary sense is smell for most animals. But us and birds of prey have incredible eyesight. And so our vision, you know, becomes this this crucially important thing in terms of uh, how we perceive the world. And so, you know, the, all the stuff about the evil eye and, you know, like uh, if... One of your eyes causes you to sin then rip it out, you know, like, which is, that's a very misunderstood bit of scripture, that one. But there's, there's a lot of stuff to do with vision. And I mean, you know, as well as the uh Christian conception of uh the all-seeing eye, which, you know, nowadays you mostly see in weird tinfoil Illuminati conspiracies. You know, it's the eye at the top of the pyramid on the dollar bill, blah, 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 the American dollar bill, that is. Um, I'm obviously not American, you can probably tell from the accent. Now, the all-seeing eye, though, I mean, this is... It's so silly that people think that's anything other than God, because God is omniscient and omnipresent. Well, how are you going to articulate what a being... Like, he, if you're everywhere and you see everything... You don't have locality. So, you you know, the notion that you're a body that exists and, you know, if I'm in the kitchen, I can't see what's in the bedroom. No, if you're everywhere, like, effectively, you're... and you see everything, then you're the (laughs) all-seeing. I mean, it's so silly. Uh, Anyway, sorry, I was watching conspiracy uh, theory videos on YouTube today and a couple of interesting documentaries. So, and, I, you know, I get... They amuse me. Anyway. Okay, so, what was my point? I got so far on a tangent here, I've actually forgotten what I was talking about. Um, yes, well, anyway. So, Christ is here to give us the opportunity To repent, yes, right, this is it. So we're going, we're crossing from paranoid, as in the universe is not on our side. God is not on our side. The powers that be are not on our side. Everyone's out to get us. You specifically. Crossing that threshold through metanoia, having that change of heart, repenting and orienting ourselves towards the light and realizing that you are actually put... On this planet, you are put into this life, into this body, into this identity that you have to have a meaningful experience. There's a story being told with your life that's part of an intricate tapestry that tells the story of the entire human race. And you're but one thread in it, but you're a crucial thread. And that realization can shake you to the very core of your being because, you know, it's, it's hard to turn towards the light because you know, you turn towards the light and you know what? It blinds you with its brilliance and it reveals to you just how badly you've stuffed up. How much you've sinned. How much you've missed the mark. How much you've turned your back on. You know, and look, this, this doesn't necessarily even just apply to believers. I mean, sure, we say you've turned your back on God, but... You know, there's real utility in thinking this way as an atheist too. And I'll appeal to atheists. I'm, I'm happy to do it. You've turned your back on being itself. You've turned your back on yourself, your family. You've turned your back on hope. You've turned your back on the, the fundamental capacity for good. And, you know, who's to say? I I really do believe that a a useful way to think is that every action you take either is oriented towards the good and supporting beings, supporting, you know, trying to make the universe and the world a little better, or it's oriented towards trying to make it worse. And that can be in something so simple as you're walking down the sidewalk and you see, like, there's a bit of rubbish next to the bin, you know, that's just a bit of litter that's just fallen on the ground. It's two feet from the bin and you're walking past. And some people will just walk right on by it and just go, not my problem. And to me, you know, it may seem so trivial, but that is a decision that, even if it's just on a microscopic level, just makes the world that much worse. Whereas if you go, I know that's not my problem, but I'm going to make it my problem. I'm going to take this one tiny thing that I can do that's going to make the world just infinitesimally better because I've cleaned up a little bit. And you do that, and man, you know, could you you imagine, just imagine that everybody in the world thought that way you know how much better the world would get if we all just tried to in small ways and gradually bigger and bigger ways just tried to make things better rather than letting things get worse through our laziness through our apathy through our resentment through our egos that just go it's not my problem I didn't do that so why should I have to do it you know it's oh god you know and I'm certainly not trying to make myself sound holier than thou to, to, you know, as if I'm not like that, because I'm more like that. I mean, gosh, you know, I'm better on some days than others. You know, some days I'm the guy that picks up the rubbish and some days I'm the guy that walks past it, you know, that rationalizes and listens to that voice in the head that, you know, tries to take you away from doing what you know the right thing is. And I'll tell you right now, that voice in your head that rationalizes you away from what you know the right thing to do is and convinces you not to do the right thing, that thing is Satan. That thing is Lucifer. That thing, that that tempter, you know, that tempts you away from doing the good, that's that's where evil truly resides, you know. And I, I really, really thoroughly believe that, you know. I think that God and Christ and Satan... These are not forces that we need to contend with outside of ourselves. These are forces that reside within, you know, they're the fundamental building blocks of what builds a man or a woman, a human, you know, and that it's those very forces that we need to understand and our relationship with and orient ourselves in the right way. You know, the best... The best way to be, I think, is you put, you know, and again, okay, you know, you can say Christ and Satan being the two opposite sides of that same coin, which is God. Uh, what you want to have is like Christ in front of you to run towards, you know, and Satan behind you to run away from. And you can, but again, you can strip the religion out of it if you want to if you want to be secular if you want to have a secular morality and go all right well i'm going to say i'm not going to say god i'm going to say being as in existence you know that existence is better than non-existence you know because there's nothing more satanic or demonic than thinking that the universe shouldn't exist hell no <laughs> that ain't the way like so Existence could be a lot better if we all pitched in and did our best to make it better. And how do we do that? Well, okay, you use your discernment. You use your best judgment to go, okay, well, this is good because it serves existence and making it better. And this other choice is the incorrect choice because, you know, it's destructive. It makes things worse. It's, you know, it takes the world a little bit closer to... Chaos and and tragedy. And so, you know, you figure out how you're going to differentiate those two forces, the good from the bad, and you put the good in front of you and you run towards it. You know, you run into its welcoming arms and then, you know, you escape the clutches. You flee from the clutches of the terror that lies in wait in the darkness that ideally is behind you. You know, and that's all the motivation you need. You know, heaven in front of you, hell behind you. You know, that's why it's heaven above, hell below. I mean, it's it's not as if hell is actually, like, under your feet. And it's not as if heaven is actually above your head. I mean, these are symbolic metaphors about forces that... I'm not saying those places don't exist. Those places definitely exist conceptually. You know, I, not, not, uh, I don't want, look, if you're a super literal person that, you know, really, like, believes that the literal exact word, like, they mean what they say, it's not somehow a metaphor or an allegory or a symbol, this is probably not the podcast for you, um, you know, I don't want to offend, but I th- think that you're oversimplifying things, that the world is very complicated, and... Well, okay, there's a bit of an awkward break there because I've just found out the hard way that this app has a one-hour limit on segments, which is very frustrating because uh, it just cut off the last 20 minutes, probably, of my first recording. Um, So my point... Uh, was that, look, there's really not much evidence to support a literal interpretation of uh, Scripture, you know, not just our Bible, but certainly um, others. You know, many, many religious writings going back to the first century AD talk about the fact that these things are symbolic and metaphorical, that we're trying to articulate something that isn't present before us in the natural world you know we're trying to describe something that's beyond the limit of our senses and you know we do that by putting it into the language of the world by pointing at things that are in the world and going well it's like this you know so that's where you get this idea of you know like god is the father you know the wise old man you know, long hair and gray beard, because, you know, we associate those characteristics with wisdom, but, you know, don't confuse the image with the actual thing, you know, like, I mean, that's strictly speaking, that's idolatry, you know, God is not, you know, an old man with white hair and a gray beard and He's not a picture of an old man with white hair and a gray beard, but he's, you know, the wisdom that we recognize in that image. And, you know, the it's the same as, you know, what we talk about with, you know, so fathers bring order and stability and discipline, um, you know, and encourage and teach us where, you know, mothers are, you know, nurturing and they feed us and they, you know, uh, so I mean, that's why it's mother nature because, you know, we feed on mother nature. We're born from mother nature in the same way that, you know, we're born of our mothers and we breastfeed from our mothers. And, you know, there's more to it than that. I mean, I'm drastically oversimplifying here, but that's the kind of, you know, crux of that idea. And, you know, it's why we articulate things as seasons, you know, we point to, you know, desolation as being like the winter and, you know, we're always looking for the coming of the new dawn, the sunrise, you know. Uh, now, when I recorded this before, I was talking about um, Joseph Campbell, who, uh, you know, like Jordan Pearson, uh, also draws very heavily on uh, the Swiss psychiatrist, Carl Jung, who, you know, really like went very deep into this idea of the archetype. And I would strongly encourage people to check out uh, the documentary series on Netflix, The Power of Myth, which is Joseph Campbell. Um, And also on YouTube, uh, not only Jordan Peterson's biblical lecture series, but his Maps of Meaning um, lecture series from 2017. And if you like, the accompanying series, Personality and its Transformations from 2017. Um, I'm just trying to recall what else I said that's worth sort of repeating Um, you know we've talked about good and evil and original sin and kind of what the, the primal forces of good and evil and light and dark really are and how they're necessary because you know Darkness and the absence of being are necessary to create the space in which being can actually move and have separate and complicated forms in the same way that evil is necessary insofar as the capacity for it exists. It's not that the actual practice of it is necessary. That's what humanity is struggling to learn as we gradually evolve ourselves into higher and higher forms, you know, is that. Whilst uh, we have such a proclivity for evil, it is not actually necessary. We bring it into the world when we miss the mark and we sin and we orient ourselves away from what serves being and orient ourselves towards a destructive tendency. So a point that I'll repeat that I did record earlier was you know, who's to say that every decision you make is not of cosmic importance? You know, and I, I drew the example of you're walking down a sidewalk and you see a bin and there's a piece of litter next to the bin that's fallen on the ground. And a lot of people will walk straight past it and just go, not my problem, not today. And you know, others will stop, pick that litter up, and put it in the bin. And in a very, very infinitesimally small way, if you walk past it, you let the universe be that much worse. And if you pick it up and put it in the bin, you let it get that much better. And if you treat every decision you make in life as if it's the choice between good and evil, right and wrong, up towards heaven, down towards hell love and fear, Christ or Satan, you know, that that will help inform you to make better choices and to head in the right direction. Um, and, you know, I did make the point that I'm certainly no saint at this myself. Some days I'm the guy that picks up the litter. Some days I'm the guy that walks past it, you know. But you try and catch yourself whenever you do the wrong thing and you just, you know, I mean, what what does an archer do when he sins and misses the target? Well, he corrects, corrects for it and aims better next time. It's like, you know, like fail better. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short of Christ. We're all going to fall short of God. But, you know, we can fail better and correct our aim and just little by little inch closer and closer as individuals and as human beings. Um, Yep. That's as as probably good as it's going to get now. So um, my my apologies for the, the tone of how this is ending. There was significant disruption. I've had the neighborhood dogs and my own dogs going crazy outside. Uh, I'm going to have to figure out a better way and a better place to record this if it's going to continue in future. Um, if you've made it this far, thank you very much for listening. Uh, God bless you all, and I'll see you next time.